I believe sometimes as women, as girls, we forget our self-worth. Whether it's boundaries put up around us that prevents us to remember that we are strong, powerful women, or boundaries we put in ourselves that makes us think that we are not strong, that we aren't really worthy. My goal is to change that. My goal is to have you know that you are worthy, that you are capable of making a difference and a change, that you are capable of succeeding and pushing yourself. My podcast, Girls Who Run the World, shares stories of strong, powerful women that are changing the world, that impact their community through their everyday lives. I am so excited to share this podcast with you all, hoping that it makes you realize that you are strong, you are worthy, and you are powerful. Let's do this. Hello, everyone. I could not be more excited for this episode today. I'm, today, I'm interviewing the beautiful and amazing Hillary Phelps. Hillary is a woman with many titles, a mom, a sister, an addiction recovery advocate, an entrepreneur, and on top of it all, a Pilates and yoga queen. Hillary has an amazing recovery story to share, and she recently shared that she is 15 years sober. I am honored to have Hillary here today telling her story. Thank you, Hillary, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I still get like teary-eyed when I hear addiction recovery advocate because it's such a new title, but yeah. it's something that's really important to me. So oh, I'm super excited to talk about it today. Um, just to start off, just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are. Who am I? Um, <laughs> such a deep question. Um, I am first and foremost a mom mm-hmm. to a almost six-year-old. His name's Alexander. Oh. He is wonderful from the time I was little. I always wanted to be a mom. Like that was, I never knew what I wanted to do yeah. professionally or anything, but I knew I always wanted to be a mom. And he's um, he's such a joy and such a sweet boy and just six I, years I old. Him. That's so cute. He's I six love years him. old and he is so smart and keeps me on my toes and he's energetic and he's so much fun. Um and like you said, addiction recovery advocate. Yeah. Um, I celebrated, I'll celebrate 16 years right, in 16. June. Yeah, June after a while. <laughs> um, and that's probably, you know, well, that's, I say Alexander's the most important, but recovery yeah. is the most important because without recovery, I wouldn't be the mom that I could be to him. Right. And so recovery is really important to me. And, um, you know, I started speaking out to give women a voice in this space mm-hmm. because we're often, um, you know, we don't seek the same treatment as men. And so yeah. I wanted women to feel less alone. And That's I think, amazing. what else? I do Pilates and yoga and breath work and all those healing <laughs> modalities all. that it. like <laughs> make me a better person. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. That's great. That's a great start. <laughs> um, before we dive into like what you're doing now with recovery, yeah. who you are, I want to like talk about your childhood, your upbringing. So you were... You ra- you were in Maryland. You were born in Maryland, right? Raised. I was born in Whiteford, Maryland, which is north of here. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like... close to where I am from. I live in Falston. Yeah. So okay. like, you, one yeah. of my a lot of my friends, like one of my great family friends, is from Street, Maryland. So it's yes. right, right near you. Yeah. yeah. I know exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we grew up in Whiteford. My parents bought yeah. um, five acres of land in the middle of the woods. They bought. Yeah. They built their dream home. Um, you know, my siblings and I would play. We had a creek that went through our property. My sister and I would catch crayfish and like play with <laughs> algae. I mean, we had like a really like tactile <laughs> nature filled. Childhood, um, and we joined the local swimming club, yeah, um, North Hartford Swim Club mm. in <laughs> yeah. Jarrettsville. So I swam for. Sorry to cut you off, but I yeah. swam. I don't know if you know. My mom was like, "Ask your brother." I, like, I don't think she'll know. Um, Fountain Green, yeah, yeah. So Kenzie we were in the same. Kenzie and I swam for Fountain Green since we were like six until COVID hit. Yeah. 
But yeah, we swam. I remember North Hartford all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was like North North Hartford, Falston, yeah, Fountain all of Green. Yeah. Like there's the um, Bel Air Arena Ar- Club. Yeah. Yes. Well, Arena awesome. Club wasn't around when I was swimming. Okay. That's how old I am. I mean, it's just because <laughs> um, it's not. But yes, yeah, so that was like our yeah. group, like a, that we compete against. Yeah. yeah. And so grew up. That's where I learned to swim. Was North Hartford. We started swimming. I started swimming. Um, I'm the oldest of three. I have a sister Whitney that's mm-hmm. two years younger, and a brother Michael that's mm-hmm. seven and a half years younger. And so. So um, I started swimming the year my brother was born. I was seven. We started swimming year round. Like my parents always wanted us to be in the water for, yeah. well, to, for water safety. And yeah. I, no, so I didn't start. I started swimming summer league. Yeah. And then um, I wanted the big trophy. Like that's yeah. kind of the joke. I was like, I don't want a third place trophy. Yeah. I want the big one. Yeah. And my mom's like, well, the kids with the big trophies are year round uh, swimmers. So right. you've got it. And I was like, sign me up. And yeah. that was it. And then that's I started so swimming. My sister started swimming, and then my brother followed us shortly after. And so, no, that's actually really funny because, like, when I was listening to your interviews pr- prior to this, I was like, I can almost relate with her a little bit because Mackenzie and I were always doing sports, like, constantly when we were younger. Mm-hmm. And swimming was just something, like, summer swim was something that we always loved. Like, the whole summer, those were our friends, that team, that group. Yeah. And we weren't. We did winter swim. It was so weird because we had, like, different experiences with coaches. But we did winter swim, like, one year, and the next year we won it. And we did it for, like, two years because we wanted to do basketball. So, like, it was this whole ordeal. And I always remember thinking, I was like, the, here are the winter swimmers coming over. <laughs> like, we'd swim against some of the best. And Kenzie and I actually could yeah. keep up with um, some of the best just because we were great athletes growing up. And we were always doing something. So, Either we weren't in the water in the winter, we were always doing like CrossFit or basketball or something that kept us like like in exercise. But I like hearing, like I can relate to you so much now that we like talk about yeah. the different teams, even though like I was not as good as the swimmers you were, but still yeah. we both swam. Um, so when did you realize that you had a love for swimming? Because I find it really cool that you were, you know, one of the best. Yeah, so I um, we started swimming at a club called Rasak, which okay. was like Renaissance Athletic Sports. Yeah, know. it was a very small team, and I was nine, eight or nine when I started. I hadn't thought about it in a while, and he would just throw me in with the boys to do distance. Like I think I was the youngest on the team, so I would just <laughs> he would just have me do distance, yeah. and so I did it. And then at age nine, the coach put me in um, the fifteen hundred. It was a long course pool. I think it was like in Falston. It's one of the big. Out- yeah. It's an outdoor it pool. Is. What's fifteen hundred? Um, How many laps? Fifteen hundred is, is thirty. <laughs> I was oh like, my, it's I been a while. So it's a mile. Know. Oh my goodness! So I was, and so he puts me in this race. It's pouring down rain. It's cold. And I was nine and the girls, it was open. So they were like 17 and 18. And I'm crying the whole time. And like, I get out and the girls all waited for me and they clapped. And it was so supportive <laughs> and great. Like, um, And that was when North Baltimore Aquatic Club approached yeah. my mom and was like, hey, we've got room for Hillary. It's when it was, it's a very small club at the time. Yeah. It wasn't, it had always produced Olympic athletes. Yes. And every year we had somebody in the Olympics and they, Tom Himes came to my mom and was yeah. like, we'd really love for her to be on our team if you're, and I was, you know, and it worked. And my mom said, what about Whitney? And yeah. they were like, we've got a spot for Whitney too. And so we went to North Baltimore. And at that point, my parents, um, my dad was driving me. Well, my dad was driving me from um, Whiteford to yeah. Towson every day for a doubles practice. So I would swim from five to seven before school. Then my parents got me a boundary exception to go to Southampton, where my mom was a teacher. Southampton, yeah. Yeah, so I went to Southampton Middle for sixth grade. Um, and then my mom would take me back down to Baltimore yeah. at night for practice. So they had they, they worked it out. I don't know yeah. how they worked it out. My sister and my brother were still at North Hartford right. Elementary. And um, 
Yeah. And at that point they were like, this is too much. They realized yeah. that I had talent and that I was really good. And so they sold their dream house and we moved to Towson. Which is um, so funny. I love that you're so near because I call it MBAC because it's where all the great swimmers were, where, but what was it? It's North, North Baltimore, Baltimore NBAC, North Baltimore. Aquatic. And a lot of my, um, actually great friends swim there now. And then girls that swam for Notre Dame's like, there's yeah. just, I don't know, you wouldn't know their names, but they um, swam there now. They won a girl that we swam against. Her name was Amber, but she swam at my high school, but then mm -hmm. also still swam for NBAC and then now swims for like UPenn, I think is yeah. where she's at. Swimming. Tom Himes is now but, the head coach at NBAC and Paul Yetter, who I swam with. Yeah. And like so trained funny. with is also a coach. I'm like, oh my gosh. It's no, funny. it's so Come funny. And in Southampton, I lived right yeah. next to there. There was like a, I don't know if it was Amy Clay. It was a neighborhood right there next to Southampton, that like Seven Eleven. Like I lived right there. It's so funny. Okay. I was like, can envision everything. It's such a small <laughs> world. I love that. Um, yeah. But so you were named the fastest swimmer so, in the country at what age? Twelve. When I was eleven and twelve, 11. so I made nationals at twelve. Yeah. Um, and Janet Evans was a distance swimmer at the time. She was mm -hmm. at Stanford. She was an Olympic distance swimmer. Yeah. Um, and my times, like we were tracking times. There was yeah. another woman, Leanne Gathing, another girl, I guess, and we were yeah kind of the top two. Um, in the country at that time in our, yeah. um, in our event. And so, yeah, I was the so fastest. What, what's that like at 12 or at 11? You're called one of the best or the best, like mentally. I mean, it's gotta be amazing, but like, what was that like, you know? Yeah. So I think at the time I just had like blinders on cause yeah. I was so dedicated just to like doing the process of swimming. Right. Like I loved doing it. I loved being in the water. I loved swimming. I loved being with, you know, the other people on the team. Like yeah. I loved my teammates. Um, and so I just didn't focus on, I mean, I just kind of focused on what I was doing versus the outcome and the product that it was, right. that it was creating. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, and I've shared this before that someone's like, well, if you trained harder, you'd be faster. Yeah. And I was like, but I'm the best. Yeah, like, exactly. It's not good enough. Yeah. And so like in my little tiny 12 yeah. year old brain, something clicked that was like, well, you're just not good the way you are. And I think if they had said that to somebody else, it may have been motivating, right. you know? And so it's just yeah. like... Just never know the yeah. impact that what you say, and that had a huge impact on. Yeah, I was going to ask. You know, did you ever struggle with being the best? Because in in sports, um, and like I said, I was never like really good at one sport. It was just like this. Like I grew up always just having a sport every season or two sports every season, yeah. and you know, I never understood or never thought about the kids that are called the best in the country, or I swam with some of the best um, in the state, and what that mindset is like. Because usually, I like to you know, have someone that I'm trying to catch up to or it's, you know, mm -hmm. like in swimming, there was always someone in the lane next to me that I was trying to catch up to. I knew I wasn't going to be the fastest. So I always wondered like, what's that meant? Like, what's that struggle? Like, you know, with no one on top of you, like you are the best. I yeah. And so I think that just leads to like competing with yourself, exactly. right? Cause like in swimming, yeah. you're competing against the clock is what we're told. Right. It's like, yeah. it's never about beating somebody else. It's about beating your best. And so I, what a beautiful analogy for life, too, as mm -hmm. we go forward. You know, it's like not about besting someone else, but just being better yeah. than we were the day before. Um, and so I think that was something that we were always taught and we were right. always told, like, winnings, we know winning, we, everybody wants to win. But yeah. but really, it's just if you do, if you better don't do your you best, yes, yeah. then that's all that matters. Yeah. And so that was, a, which is great. I think that's something that like a lot of us are taught now, as it's yeah. being talk, talked about more, like mental health. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, our dad and mom have always taught us, like, we were always taught that, like, just be 1% better than you were the day before or just try to be 1% better than you were the day before. And, you know, as I start to run more, it's, I struggle with 
like sometimes knowing time, even this morning I was struggling with like pace and dad was like the other day. So I ran, I'm not the fastest runner. So I ran like four, like four miles or something before I ran, you know, like 12 miles. And it was at a 10, like 50 pace. And I was like, cause I was walking like mental, you know, mental struggle during running. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh my goodness, dad, like, I don't know what's up with me. I just ran like 10 58. Like usually right around here, I was running like 10 minute miles. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Madison, a year ago, 10 58 would have been your fastest run. And now you're saying that it's your worst. Like that's an amazing thing to be proud of. And it's something that, you know, it takes a second for us to realize. Cause there's always like that voice in our head. That's like, you could do better or you're not as better as you like, I don't know. There's always this voice. And so, um, I think it's something that we're all still learning, you know, and something that, yeah. you know, I'll learn as I get older. It's like the ego versus the soul. Exactly. Right? The ego is telling you you're not good enough and yeah. the soul is telling you like you're great the yeah. way you are. And it's like finding that middle ground that. of like, you know, because yeah. you don't want to like live in the ego of right. being like, <laughs> I'm the best yeah. or like this like and so I think finding that yeah, yeah just that being little like balance. happy in the moment yeah. is really powerful um so uh, I was listening so let's I want to talk about like college and then where you transition and where the mark where you started to maybe go downhill and step into my addiction a yes. little bit more yeah yeah um, so I started, so after, you know, my sister was third in the world at 14, so my sister started oh, wow. to eclipse me in swimming. She was really good. Um, and so when that started to happen, yeah. it was, that was really, that felt really hard because she's yeah. my younger sister. And um, and so instead of like persevering and pushing on, I, and that's, this isn't why, so no, it's no, nothing, no, no. but You're like good. I started to kind of experiment with drugs and alcohol yeah. and just, and I was also, I think looking back now, I had yeah. depression. Like I remember talking, yeah. saying like, I think I need to see a therapist. I think I, like, I think I'm just struggling with these, this, with these things. And I remember like I had a boyfriend, I broke up with like my first boyfriend, <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. like 14 and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the end of the world. And like all, <laughs> <I love> the, <laughs> right? all the things that feel really yeah. heavy at 14, um, and I just and the and I started coping with drinking and, yeah. and with drugs and um, I started experimenting. You know, lacrosse like Baltimore's a lacrosse yeah. town, so it's like hanging out with like lacrosse, lacrosse players. Yeah. yeah, and like you know, beer was a big part of that culture yeah. when I was in college, and and just and I never felt good enough. Like yeah. even you know, even though I was the best in the country, I got straight A's until seventh grade. Like mm-hmm. I remember my first beat. Like. I still never felt good enough, you know, like Mm -hmm. funny enough, smart enough, pretty enough. Like I was never good enough on the inside. And so drinking and putting that like substances in my body made me not feel that way, you know? And as a 14 year old, I don't know that I could put words to like, I think I'm depressed. I I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't come out and say like, I'm self-medicating with this. Like I just didn't know. And, um, and things were so different, I imagine, yeah. at that time. Because I've grown up, and even like when I was younger to now, you can see how it's changed the conversation around mental health. Yes. So I can't imagine what it was like, you know, a couple years before. Yeah. You know? And I've shared this, and this is no slight on them because it's how they grew up. But yeah. like my parents grew up in homes, right? Like the generation. You don't talk about men, right? Like especially yeah. outside the home, like you yeah. keep those things inside, and like if you know, and if you just kind of ignore them, they go away. Right. And that's how my parents were raised, and that's how um, 
that's how kind of we were raised. It's like, you know, put on your sunglasses. Don't let anybody see you cry. Like right, yeah. you're fine. And I was like, okay, I'm fine. Like, and so like toughen up yeah. like that whole, and you're right. Like the narratives Idea. really changed yeah, around the way. Has. Like we talked to children and mm-hmm. like, like allowing them to share emotion. Like that's really evolved. But at the time it was like, okay, I just need to like stuff it down. I just need to right. like be tougher. And, um, and that wasn't the right, that wasn't the right thing for me. Yeah. Um, so Really quick, I'm going to go back and yeah. ask a question because you mentioned your siblings, and then I'm going to go back. But so you're a great swimmer. You know, you're, I didn't even know you had a sister until like the other day, so I'm glad I know that yeah. I did my research, She's but she awesome. sounds amazing. And we grew up obviously knowing your brother in swimming. Yeah. It's a pretty good swimmer. <laughs> but I, I, I just I laugh, laugh about it. Because I was like a diehard Ted. I was like, I'll do anything to swim. I love swimming. Yeah. And I was like, I, and I laugh about this, and I was like, I was okay. I mean, I got a full scholarship to no, swim in college. Amazing. Like, yeah. right. But then yeah. I joke, I'm like, in my family, I was not like, I was not. Yeah. You know, in any other family, <laughs> I love how everyone was a swimmer. And all like, three kids. Well, and then my awesome. sister was third in the world at 14. She was an Olympic hopeful in '96. She got fifth at trials, but her time would have won. Her best time would have won the Olympics in '96 in Atlanta. She had a herniated disc and a stress fracture, oh two goodness. bulging discs, and had an eating disorder. Yeah. And so my sister. Um, who was kind of like, I don't know, they had to bribe her to swim, right? Yeah. But then she ended up being this phenomenal swimmer. My brother didn't like to get his face wet, wouldn't turn <laughs> over. Know. They had him swimming backstroke to start, and he's like the greatest swimmer <laughs> of all time. So like the excitement level from like, I was like gung-ho, really yeah. thrilled, and Michael was like, ooh, don't know. And it's like, yeah. but then the, you know, the ability increased significantly yeah. as we got younger. Um, I don't know, I just think that's so it's, funny. It's but. so funny as we grew up as like, um, Kenzie and I, would like look at swimmers and I remember like actually knowing that Michael Phelps wouldn't get his face wet because <laughs> there was a time where I wouldn't put my head in the water like I'd swim and just like crank my neck like this I'd still like do the breathing but I was so scared to put my face in the water and this was like actually at the age of like eight yeah. or like nine Maybe it was seven. pretty embarrassing people my mom was like honey just put your face in the water you're gonna hurt your neck I was like <laughs> it was like taking so much time and yeah I was still Aww. really fast I was winning but yeah. I looked crazy like I did not want to get my face wet and one of my coaches like it's okay you know Michael Phelps doesn't really put his face in the water when he was a kid either <laughs> I was like someone wrote a joke about it and um, but my question was, how is it growing up in that family of competitive swimmers? Like, it's got to be exciting. But was there ever a time where you, like, struggled with, like, your siblings being, you being better at sometimes and your siblings, like, overcome? Like, how, what was that like? Um, and this has been – this. We, yeah. so my sister – I think it was harder for me when my sister started to beat me because yeah. she was younger. She's closer in age. She was really good. And instead of, like, persevering, I just kind of gave up. I was like, right. well, I don't want to um, – I don't want to push. Right. Like, I don't want to. And so my mom also jokes. She's like, sometimes, Hillary, I literally feel like you would just do the nice thing. I'd be like, I won last time, so why don't you, you win, win this time? time? And she's like, what is it? Like, yeah. I just didn't have the same. Like, my sister and brother are just fierce competitors. Yeah. And um, I just don't have it like they do. Right. And, and they're just different. And so um, so the hardest was my sister. And then my sister made the national team. Mm-hmm. Um 14 and so she was traveling with the national team she was in Paris and like she was amazing (laughs) 14 years old I know she was so good yeah and so she would travel um you know and then Michael kind of came onto the scene at 14 at that time you know it's when he went to nationals and won the rookie of the meet at seniors and Uh I was um in college at that time and I was drinking I still remember this like my friend Matt Tomiak we were all swimmers and we're hanging around and Michael like you know had won this award and I was like just wait he's going to be the greatest of all time and they're like he just had a good meet people burn out all the time 
time. I'm like, right. no, no, no. And they came back a couple of years later. They're like, you were right. I was you like, right. I, know. <laughs> I know. I was just a proud sister, but <laughs> I was like, it's going to be the best. Um, and so with Michael, it was different. But then I think, you know, there was a little bit of struggle because Michael, when he, you know, Whitney tried out in 96. Michael was in 2000, made this first Olympic team at 15 yeah. in Australia. Um, and I think, you know, in that, so it was hard for Whitney and I, but then I think it was hard for Whitney for a while yeah. then because like, my sister gave up everything for swimming. Right. I and mean, she gave it, up dances and football yeah. games and friends. Like, she was so dedicated. And mm-hmm. I think it just, my opinion, not her, like, not, but I think it was just really hard for her yeah. for a while to. Because see. even like growing up with Mackenzie and mm-hmm. like us, so you and your sister around the same age, me and Kenzie, identical twins. Obviously, there are a lot of moments, and Kenzie was always better at swimming. Mm. And so there was always a moment where I was like, oh, I just want to be like her, or, yeah. you know, I'm never going to be that good. But there's obviously, our whole lives were supporting each other, celebrating each other. But I just always wonder how it is for other siblings that do the same sports. Because yeah. Kenzie and I always did the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, comparing yourself and, like, kind of fighting that battle of comparison. And I but, like, wanting to support, but, like, also, like, in your mind being like, oh, sometimes I wish, like, I'd get that medal or I'd get that trophy yeah. or I'd be up on the higher podium. You know what I mean? And I think it's harder for siblings that are the same, like, girls right. and girls and yeah. boys and boys. Like, there wasn't that with right. my brother. Um, but, like... You know, my sister and I, like I said, we're totally different. My sister's super competitive. Yeah. She's got a drive unlike anyone I've ever met. She's yeah. just incredible. She's funny. Like, I look at my <laughs> sister, I'm like, she is so cool. Like, <laughs> like, I'm the nerdy one, and she's, like, really cool. And so, like, I wanted to be like that when yeah. I was growing up, you know, and that's where alcohol took me. Like, it allowed right. me to be that person or whoever it was I wanted to be, where my sister was just always, like, in her person exactly. and yeah. just really authentic. Yeah. So back to when you're starting to drink. Yeah. So uh, obviously I know, but people that don't know, Baltimore is like a lacrosse-centered <laughs> place. When people ask why I went to Alabama, I was like, well, because if you don't play lacrosse and go to play up north or around Maryland for lacrosse, a lot of the girls go down south. And I just always <laughs> refer back to like my school being like now NDP is one of the biggest lacrosse schools. Just the all-girls schools in Baltimore are really big for lacrosse recruiting. Um, what was that social scene like? You talked about it a little bit, but just in depth more mm-hmm. throughout college and, you know, how did that start? I mean, you kind of already answered it, but yeah. start the drinking. Well, so when I was in 10th grade, um, I'd started to get college. I think it's like, I forget like what the rule, I think in 10th grade they can send you letters and I think in 11th grade yeah. they can reach out to you. Yes, I think, I think it's something, it like, that, something yeah, like that. Yeah. So in 10th grade I was getting letters, like interest letters for yeah. to come and see their college next year. And, um, and I went to my mom and I was like, I'm done with swimming. I'm going to play lacrosse because I wanted to be part of. Right, like I yeah. just never felt part of. And yeah. so my mom's like, you are? And I said, yeah. She goes, when's the last time you picked up a lacrosse stick? I was so cocky. I was like, never. But I, I mean, I'm a good swimmer, so it's going to translate. <laughs> Mind you, I'm the worst on land coordination person ever. <laughs> like I can't kick a soccer ball like fluidly. I love I mean, it, but it in the water like, it's perfect. In the water it's fine. Yeah. But I am not a land sport yeah. person. And so – and lacrosse, there's no pocket in the girl's say. Like, it's hard. Yeah. It's like, it's a skill. And my mom's like, okay, okay, well, what does that look, let's walk through this. What does that look like for you? I'm like, well, I'm going to quit and like, you know, I'll go to college and I'll play lacrosse. She goes, oh, okay. Just now. So, yeah, just here. <laughs> okay, so these girls have been playing for years. Like, you've been swimming. You think you're just going to go, all right, so here's the deal. <laughs> you can keep swimming for four, six more years and get a full scholarship because that's what they're offering yeah. you. And you can go anywhere you want. Yeah. Or you can go play lacrosse 
and you're responsible for every application for I mean for every yeah, um, every tuition like yeah. you're responsible for paying covering that because yeah. my mom was a teacher my dad was a right. police officer like they didn't have money to send yeah. us all to college like to pay our bills and so she's like so those are your options you can have it covered and keep swimming <laughs> for just a small or amount of, or you like, can get paid. and uh, I'm like you're like, okay, fine. You, know, fine. You got She's like, me. and you can stay here. She's like, because you'll go to, ta- it was Towson yeah, State at the Towson. time. She's like, you know, you'll, and I was like, all right, fine. So I kept going and, um, and yeah. And, and so, but I wanted to be like everybody else. Like I yeah. wanted to be a part of. And so I'd hang out with them and I'd drink and we yeah. would like do all the things like pour vodka into watermelons and eat them yeah. at lacrosse oh games thinking nobody could smell it. Like <laughs> so stupid. And, um, all the things, yeah. <laughs> such a weird. It's such things a weird have changed. Thing. Um, okay. <laughs> but like I now I'm really thinking back. I'm like, and then there's this thing called Zima, and we used to put Jolly Ranchers know. in Zima. It's basically alcoholic sprite. Yeah, and it, it was so stupid. Except, but, I think people probably still do that today. So and we, <laughs> we were like, it let's pray smell. for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so but, it started to transition into drinking that. Yeah. So and then, how did you start to see your attitude? personality, relationships, how did it all mm-hmm. start to alter? Like, where did you start to see, or like, I guess you That's can realize question. now, but like, maybe just talk, talk about how your attitude, personality changed, and then how your relationships were affected. That's a really great question. Um, so I started just not care, not care yeah. about my grades, not care about my family, like, um, not, I mean, I only wanted to hang out with people that were drinking and using. Right. And, um, you know, at the time my parents were going through a divorce mm-hmm. and that allowed a little bit of space for me to explore a little bit more because, right. you know, I mean, it's a hard time for everybody. Right. And so I, <laughs> I learned to deal with it by drinking, you know, yeah. by drinking and doing that and like, you know, going out, I remember I'd have like coolers of beer in my car and, yeah. um, but I became really indignant and I became like my grades started suffering. I just really didn't care. I started, um, let me share this. I started like smoking weed yeah. at school, like all the things that, that things. sound really, I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like such a degenerate, <laughs> but I just didn't care. I didn't care about much other right, than yeah. like, and that's when the real shift started happening and yeah. only hanging out with people that were doing the same thing. Yeah. And so how did it change? Like, I don't know if this is too much asking, but how did it change your relationship either with like your siblings, your best friends, who started to notice? Did anyone say anything? Like did anyone realize what was going on and then how how did this alter your relationships? Did it deepen your relationships because you like could confide in them or it was just like mm-hmm. I kept it all inside, yeah. right? Like that's how I cope. And so yeah. I think my sister would see and I mean, my parent, my mom was out of town and I'd party and my sister pulled up. She's like, nope, I'm out of here because she was like right, yeah. really good. She's like, I'm not going down for this. Yeah. And um and so it definitely put like a wedge in all of my familial relationships. Right, yeah. And then for my friends, like I just did whatever it took. Like there was just right. a group of people and we would just drink. And so it wasn't, but it wasn't, it was surface level friendship. Like there was right, no deep, like deep connection. There was no like I'm struggling or I'm this. Right. It was like, where are we going on Friday? Exactly. Can we do this before yeah. school? Like what are we doing? Yeah. Cause you're all into the same thing yeah. and all have the same like needs and wants. Mm. Um, but what was I going to ask? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're all good. And then from there, I mean, like high school then just turned into college. And like in college for me, it was like yeah. a huge breeding ground for people that drink. Right. Because everything's like, and I'm sure it, you were interested. Sorry, I could just cut you off. But fine. in high school, like for me, like alcohol wasn't even introduced until like to us until like our end of the year, like into senior year. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine at the, what age 
did you have your first drink? 14. If you don't mind asking. 14, yeah. So I was always the youngest in my grade, so I think I was like going into my sophomore year of high school at 14, I think, or maybe, yeah. Yeah, going into my sophomore year. And then college has been such an eye-opener because like I wasn't, I was in this bubble, and now I'm like, yeah. There's so many things that people do. Like, I didn't even know. I'm kind of like the <laughs> innocent one in my friend group because I don't know a lot about a lot. And, um, but I can't imagine, you know, at that age and then going to college, you know, already doing, you know, what you were doing. And then there's this world of all of it. Because it's together. just a free-for-all. You right. know, like in high school, I still had to go home. I still had a curfew. I yeah. still, like, had some boundaries and rules. Um, where in college, it was like the only thing I had to do was show up for practice because basically yeah, exactly. I had a scholarship, yeah. and so I had to go. And um, but I thought it was just one big party, and I and you can find anybody. And like swimmers, I don't know how they are. Yeah. Like, but swimmers are partiers. Like we love yeah. to party, we love to drink, we love to like have fun. And so we there's always somebody that wanted to drink, have fun, or go yeah. out. And and so it was really easy in college. And so for someone that whose addiction was just starting to like light up and get right. turned on, it was a really um, exciting, exciting and scary place to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, then recently you became more transparent and opened up about your story. I want to talk about that um, for some time because what was that like? Let's actually go back and talk about like mm -hmm. when did you realize – I know you talked about a relationship that maybe mm -hmm. was – the cause, not the cause of why you got, you got sober, but one of the reasons why you were like, okay, I need to do this mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And so talk about that a little bit, mm -hmm. that story, and then go into like when you decide to walk into, walk into treatment. Yeah. So I, um, so my college friends started, cause I was a blackout drinker, right. which means that every time I drink alcohol, I blackout. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know, so I could not physically, emotionally, mentally have one drink. Mm -hmm. It was just not possible. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to elaborate on that, but, yeah. but it, it just, it wasn't possible. So every time I would start drinking, nobody knew where the night would go. Nobody knew right. which person would show up because it was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Sometimes I was like <laughs> the funnest person, which is yeah. what I always wanted. So yeah. I was like, great. So I continued to chase that desire right, of exactly. being fun. Yeah. I was like, great, I'm going to drink tonight. It's going to be fun. But yeah. other, I wouldn't be fun. I would... Like I joked about this and someone that knows me now is like, I can't see it. Like there'd be a girl that would stare at me in the bathroom and I was like, what are you looking at? Yeah. You know, like, and I like, you want to, you want to, yeah. which is not, not who you. I am, yeah. but it was like, but that's where drinking took me and yeah. I'd get angry or I would get, you know, really sad and I would just cry. I mean, you just never knew. And so for me, my friends, I just started behaving in ways that weren't aligned with who I am. And my mm -hmm. friends, my senior year came up to me. There were three of them, like my roommates and they were like, we're, we're really worried about you. Like you're not you like yeah. you're just basically was like whatever screw yeah. you I can get new friends I don't need you yeah and um it ended up working out and like we look back now it's like oh my gosh was that an intervention like it was kind <laughs> of a little intervention um but after college I just continued and so you know in college you can kind of yeah. get away with it but after school I was 23 24 25 I was still drinking I switched to wine because I thought that made me sophisticated because uh -huh. if you drink, you know, my in my mind, if you drink wine, then you're not an alcoholic because right, al yeah. al alcoholics only drink hard liquor, right. um, not fancy drinks. They're drinking, they're sneaking <laughs> yeah. it. They're drinking before work. Like the idea of what's portrayed as an alcoholic exactly. was not yeah. what I was. And yeah. so, um, so after college, I did that, and I also like I was just I felt empty inside, and that hole that I used to fill with alcohol or tried to fill with alcohol, mm -hmm. like alcohol stopped working, and so I found myself in toxic relationships because yeah. I thought if I was with somebody, then that meant I was good enough and loved and seen and supported, even right. if that person was not healthy, if it's yeah. not a healthy relationship. And so um, I'd gone through a couple of those, and the person that got me sober. Um, 
you know, came from an alcoholic family. And he said to me at one point, like, if you don't get help, I'm going to tell your family how bad it is. Because yeah. if you, I was living with him. And so he saw the day ins and day outs of like when I got up in the morning and sat in the shower with my kidneys hurting and I'd cry yeah. every morning about how much pain I was in. Like, or sneaking, you know, vodka out of the freezer or right. making Bloody Marys at yeah. 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Like he saw all those things and I could still kind of hide them from my family. Yeah. Um, and he was like, you, like, I'm, this is, this is worrisome. Right. And so at that point, I just wanted to get him off my back. And I tried, we tried to go, um, I tried to go to 12-step meetings a couple of times. My therapist What is 12-step? I heard you talk about it before. I just don't know. Yeah, so 12-step is, um, it can be AANA. So there are different programs okay. per different. Sorry, just, no, it's all yeah. good. So Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, um, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. So depending on your addiction, you can go to different 12-step programs. And in okay. those programs, there are 12 steps to recovery. Oh, okay. And so it's called working a program. And so okay. some people, there's a difference. People say, I don't drink versus I work a program of, of recovery. Yeah. So people who don't drink just tend to just stop drinking. Right. But the problem is when you stop drinking, all of the things that you were drinking over or yeah. the insecurities, are they come up. Yeah. And so these 12 steps help you... Um, heal from those right. and like you know I've shared this like you're only as sick as your secrets and what I yeah. learned was that by sharing my what I thought were secrets and like I thought I was the worst person in the world because yeah. I couldn't stop drinking but when I walk into a room of other people who are also recovering and I was like oh my gosh you too you feel less alone yeah, so and so the easy. community yeah. is really helpful and so when I yeah so 12-step meeting okay, so, so I, I went into some of those and I just wasn't ready. And so mm. I just, I said, so when he said to me, I think you need help, I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to get you off my back because I just don't want my family to know. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to check out an outpatient rehab, which is called IO, it's an IOP intensive outpatient. Okay. And I would go after work. And okay. so I'd go for three hours and there's a process of um, checking in and yeah. other people who are, you know, some people are there because their jobs made them go and some people are there voluntarily. But um, I walked in voluntarily and said, I really, I need help. I can't stop drinking. And then you've been sober since. And I've been sober since. Since then. I walked in on, so I, my last drink was on June 8th, 2007. I walked into treatment, detoxed in my studio apartment in Washington, D.C. while the Pride Parade was going on outside. Yeah. And um, I could hear, I lived in DuPont Circle and I could hear these people having fun. And I was like, am I doing? Like yeah. my life, I'm existing in my life. I'm watching yeah. it go by like a movie and I'm miserable. That Monday, um, June 11th, I walked into treatment and I, I asked for help and I've been sober ever since. That's amazing. Yeah, and you. then, so after that, how did you start to see like your relationships rekindle? Like how did you start to find you, who you were again or who you wanted to be mm. and, you know, better yourself after that? Like what's that experience like? That's a good question too. Um, you know, they have a saying in 12 Steps that it takes you five years to find your marbles, yeah. 10 years to gather them, and 15 years to know what to do with them. <laughs> and for me, I love it. that's accurate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I thought when I first went in, I thought that if I just put down the drink and stopped drinking, then my life would be perfect. Mm -hmm. And that is when I realized like there were all these other things that I had drank over, like the not feeling good enough yeah. and not feeling um, and wanting to be somebody else. And so, you know, the past 15 years, and they say it, that's why it's like working a program and it's managing my addiction because there are things I do every day right. to do that. Um, and I feel like for me at 15 years when I shared my story is when I felt the most free because right. I had kept it quiet. And everybody's different. You know, some people are like, nope, I never need to share it. Some right. people share from day one with their yeah. family and their friends and community and church and everything. But that just wasn't my my story. I wasn't ready. Yeah. Um, but when I shared it 15 years, it was the first time I felt like my full life had been integrated. Right. Like I wasn't trying to straddle. Like I can't say this to this person and that to that person. Like it was just right. a full. So you first shared it 
this past year, 2022. Yeah. And so what was that like? Were people starting to reach back out to you? Like 15 years of people not knowing that. So my good friends, my college friends knew, yeah, my family, family knew. But then I'd started to develop friends in D.C. just yeah. socially. Um, you know, when we traveled to the Olympics, like people just knew I didn't drink, but yeah. nobody really knew why. Um, and so when I shared for the first time, my friend has a podcast and we went to college together. He's mm-hmm. 10 years sober. <laughs> and uh, huh? I listened to that one. Did you with it, Pete? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I talked to Pete on the way up today. I was like, I'm going to, I was like, you kicked this whole thing off. Yeah, he was like, he I was like, from Bel Air. And I was like, little does this guy know. Yeah, he's, he's like, <laughs> he was so, and he was like, hey, I'd love for you to share your story. Would you ever be interested? Yeah. And I said, had you asked me two months ago, I would have said no, but I'm at a place now where, because I, my entire life, I always wanted to feel part of something and I was right. so worried that people wouldn't like me. Like yeah. that's my biggest fear. Yeah. And now at, I'm 45, at 15 years sober, <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't, if you don't like me, you're not my person. Like, right. is there are the people that do, yeah. but that took a really long it takes, time. Oh yeah. I'm still and battling like, with the wanting to be liked. Yeah. It takes a long, and that's yeah. what it's like. It's a process, but the process looks like every single day, like yeah. doing work. I do a lot of meditation. I do breath work. Like I've studied modalities <laughs> to help because yeah. like, because look, like I can stay where I am and be fine. Right. Like I can survive. I can like, you know, I say the rat race. Like I can just exist in life, yeah. but like I don't think I'm here to exist. Like I want to thrive and yeah. I want to live like a That's great awesome. happy life and feel joy on the inside. And so um, it's taken, yeah, I mean at five, so at five years I was diagnosed with severe depression. Okay. Um, and I think that only came out because I was sober mm-hmm. and and um, sought treatment for that and talked to a therapist at 10 years. My child yeah. was born um, 10 days after my 10th, 10 days before my 10th anniversary, Alexander was born. I took him to a meeting to pick up my chip. He was 10 days old. You know, and at 15 years last year, um, it was the hardest year of my life. You know, my yeah. divorce was finalized. It was a really yeah. very challenging couple of years before that. Um, so I moved. I launched a business. And yeah. my dad died at the end of 20. Right. Um, my dad. Yeah, no, it's good. At the end of 2022, yeah. totally unexpectedly. And yeah. so... Um, and I shared that, like, at the end of last year, I wanted to drink so bad. Yeah. And I said this, I was like, I want to go to a bar, and I just want to hang out with people I don't know, and I want to get obliterated, and I want right. to check out, because right now my world feels like it's turned upside down. Yeah. But because I'd done the work every day, going back right. to those practices and rituals that I yeah. had already put in place, and friends, like a community, I was able to do the things yeah. I needed to do, instead of walking into a bar and like hanging out with strangers exactly. and getting, yeah. you know, wasted. I also went to Ashley. I went to Ashley with our friend Charlie yeah. and shared my story there and like told them. And, you know, it's like, cause they say in recovery, like to keep this, you have to give it away. Yeah. You know, it's not something, it's like the same thing I think with women and female friendships. Like mm-hmm. so many women are competitive and it's like, if you, if you excel, it's taking away from me. And right. it's like not the case. Like yeah. I cheer you on when you excel because that means like, that's beautiful. Like you're right. winning for women. Yeah. Like you're doing great and it's not taken away from anything I'm doing, yeah. you know? And it's kind of that same mentality in recovery. And I think that's so beautiful. Just cheering yeah. on the successes of everyone. Because it's so, you know, with your story, it's diff- like it's a different scenario. But in my life, like just knowing, hearing the stories of other women, like the women that I have on this podcast, it's like... Mm-hmm all of the things that you all have done is like, oh my goodness, there's so many possibilities because yeah. there was this runner one time. Um, I hope it's, I'm going to get the name right. I want to say it was Camille, Camille Heron. Um, oh, the world record. Yeah, she just did 48. Yes. Yes. So I follow her. I love her. 
And I actually know that she knows Charlie Engel. Yeah. Because when I ran um, the Penguin last year, I was like, so if you could, like, ever just mention the podcast. And she's like, yeah, I'll just share it with her. So now we, like, follow each other. And – but she said – I think she was on Rich Roll's podcast. And I want to make sure mm-hmm. that – I think it was her. Mm-hmm. And she said that – um, that what's amazing is that women are raising the bar, oh, something like this. I'm just going to, I'm probably butchering what just she paraphrase. said. paraphrase, yeah. But yeah. that women funny. like her are like raising the bar in what we think is possible. So each day that, like 48 hours, do you think ever a woman could run, you know, over 200 something miles in 48 hours? Well, now it's possible. And so now that allows girls like me, runners that are competitive, you know, just women in general realize that, okay, so there's so much room that, I can do all of this. And I think growing up in an environment where we were constantly empowered from my parents, from my dad, um, whether it was in sports or, you know, wanting to do the podcast, Mackenzie doing LLS, like doing all these things, mm-hmm. I think being able to have women mentors is something all the girls need and just being able to realize, like, okay, I can grow so much and there's so much growth period and to celebrate that growth, you know, where I can go. Yeah. I know that all these things are possible because mm-hmm. I've had these stories of women crafted around me mm-hmm. and shared with me and now mm-hmm. I, like, have all these tools, you know, mm-hmm. and now to create, like, the best version of my version of myself. So. Yes, and that's exactly why I yeah. decided to share my story of recovery because yeah. when I got sober 15 years ago, I had no idea where to turn. I didn't know what was possible, and right. there was nobody, there weren't any women talking because, look, like, there's stories like Charlie Angle who was yeah. living in a car that was shot up with bullet holes doing yeah. crack in a hotel, like, and sensational stories. Talked about our yeah. friend Zach Clark, same thing. Like, these stories are so sensational, but I was a woman that was drinking two-plus bottles of wine a night and blacking out, and there are people that still said to me, well, that's not that bad. You never drank before work. You never got arrested. Yeah, um, you never wow. totaled a car. And I'm like, yeah, not yet. Yeah. If I would have yet, kept yeah. drinking, there is a hundred percent guarantee I would have done one of those things. Yeah. And so for me, I wanted to be able to show women that it is possible that, okay, just two bottles of wine or just right. mommy's sippy cup yeah. or whatever those look like yeah. as acceptable things in culture doesn't mean that you're not struggling or an addict. One, two, it's okay to ask for help. And yeah. three, like this is 15 years. Like this is what an addict looks like. Right, yeah. And I look like you, you yeah. know, or I look like your so neighbor or to, I look yeah. like I am a mom, like all of those things. And like, this is part of who I am and it's okay. And right. I've survived and now I'm thriving and like, it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. And now you can be that woman that people can see because I think, yes, you know, I haven't talked a lot about alcoholism, like being brought up. It wasn't like a topic that we talked about, but especially when my dad met Charlie Engel, mm-hmm. my family started, I remember he came to our house, like, mm-hmm. I don't even know what grade I was in. I don't even know who he was, but dad used to have like his guests that he would have like to our house. It's like a regular thing that people yeah. would be saying the night in our basement. And I remember Charlie Engel, we went to dinner and I just like, he was telling his story. And Kenzie and I were so young. I was like, this is, might be the first story that I ever heard. I remember I was just like, and dad was like, this, is, this guy's amazing. You got to take notes, like just focus. Yeah. <laughs> and so then um, going to the Penguin event last year was like yeah. the first time that I was ever at anything that was like about like recovery, mm-hmm. like advocating for people that are going through recovery. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, I think a lot of women like, stereotyped alcoholics are probably more men. Like if you were to, I don't know, I think well, and the, the growing numbers, up. Yeah, yeah, and the numbers the numbers show that, yeah. right? And like not to nerd out for a second, yeah, but right. Harvard studies show that there's a 41% increase in women, heavy drinkers among women yeah. after COVID. That's four more drinks in every day. But in treatment, it's still two and a half men to every one woman getting sober still after COVID. Right, yeah. And so what that says is there's a greater number, there women are 
drinking more and more, but they're not seeking treatment. So yeah. why? There's shame. Right. They feel like they can't leave their families. They shoulder the bur- They shoulder so much. Homeschooling during COVID, a job, a yeah. family, cooking, cleaning, like all yeah. of the stuff that. Went, I mean, not to sound not no, to you're sound good. Yeah, yeah. Stereotypical, yeah. but like the things that women do, and there's yeah. a whole conversation around that, like invisible labor that women. Children in general, just yeah. because it's what we do. We take care, we nurture, we do. Yeah. And so we just keep going thinking it's going to go away. Or, you know, if you're six friends at a mommy group and they're all drinking and they go home and don't have any more, but you go home and drink two bottles and think that they're doing the same, like you just have no idea because nobody's exactly. talking openly about talking it. About and so it. let's make this a conversation where it's not shameful mm-hmm. and there isn't stigma around asking for help when it comes to addiction. Right. And so now that you are, you know, continuing on with your sobriety in 15 years, I'm 16, which yeah. is amazing. <laughs> It's like yeah. actually almost how old I am. And which is, I mean, <laughs> I give you all the credit. That is really amazing. <laughs> I don't know if that's okay Thank to say. Thank you. But, yeah, it's all good. Um, yeah. But what would you, uh, what advice, I know there's a ton of things you'd probably do, but what advice would you give to the young girls that are struggling, you know, especially around age 14, kids are gaining into alcohol, um, or young girls that are struggling with alcohol? What would your advice be to them? Oh, my gosh. Um I'm trying to think back to like little Hillary, right? Like, <laughs> like what I needed. And it's, it's like knowing that, look, everybody is struggling. Like yeah. every single person, it doesn't matter what your friend is putting on TikTok or what she's putting on Instagram or what they're, they're telling right. you at school. Yeah. Every single, like life is hard. It is not easy. There is nobody, like even the people that are successful have challenges yeah. every single day. And so you're not alone. Like that's the one thing. It's like, yeah. you're not alone in your struggles and you're not alone in your, um, I don't know, sadness, like, but I think the strongest thing you can do is like ask for help. And if it doesn't come, you know, if your family's not a place you can go for support, like ask your friends. If you're, you don't feel comfortable asking your friends, like go to a teacher. If your teachers aren't comfortable, like there are a lot of online support systems. Um, you can reach out to me. Like I'm what I answer every, I I answer every message I get. I I answer every email. I answer every text. Um, sometimes it's not as quickly, but I do get to it. And so like, just ask for help. Yeah. I mean, just you're not alone and like the world needs you. Like yeah. we're all individual and we bring these really beautiful gifts to the world and and I'm not like you and you're not like me, but yeah. we have commonalities, but like we each bring different gifts to the world and like right. the world needs our gifts. Yeah. I love that. And then so if you can convince if you could convince like this younger female generation, my generation of one thing what would that one thing be? If you can convince the younger female generation of one thing, yeah, what would that be? If I could say something and they believe it? Yeah. You're beautiful. Yeah. You That's you amazing. You deserve the best. You are the best. You have gifts. Like, and I didn't know that when I was little. I thought, or right. younger, I mean, I was, I had angst and I had sadness and I was, you know, probably depressed yeah. and I don't think social media is doing anybody, anybody, favor, anybody, any favors, yeah. the younger generation, but, um, we're just going back to that same thing. Like, we all have a gift. Yeah. I love this quote, and it, I use it all the time. It's so nerdy. It's like, I think it's Dr. Seuss. <laughs> but it's like, we're all a genius. But if we judge a fish's ability to climb a tree, then he's a failure. Yeah. You know? And so we're so used to comparing ourselves to other people that we see ourselves sometimes as not good enough or as failures. And that's just yeah. that's just not right. That's, that's inaccurate. Yeah, because we all have different strengths. That's something yeah. Lindsay and I have been talking a lot about because, you know, like I said, we grew up, we were doing the same thing. Like I just had her on the podcast and we discussed this. And mm-hmm. so we were doing the same thing, um, like always hitting the same targets. And then as we started to like get older in high school, senior year, you know, we, she had the idea for the podcast, but 
came to me one day and was like, I think you're a better personality for it. You have more strengths that would be better for it. So it's actually really funny because she, um, and it has to take a lot of strength because the podcast has been something really big and a lot of people acknowledge that about us. And sometimes it's like, at us, it's like, oh, so you guys have the, have the podcast, and it's hard for her to say, oh, no, it's not my podcast, it's Madison's podcast, even though she had, like, the idea, and one day she was just like, I'm going to step back, you do it, and then she's like, I'm going to come co-host sometimes, so I hope she actually does does co-host, but... Um, that is so beautiful. But, yeah, so it's really, and so, strange. like, as we gotten older, it's just, like, it's been hard for us, actually, to, like, being able to, like, have these different accomplishments at, at, different, at different times. Like, I ran my first half marathon... Years ago, when I, not years ago, like two years ago, when I was training for Chicago Marathon, Kenzie just recently ran hers this past week, Tuscaloosa Half. Um, and it's so, uh, God, I don't know, I'm getting emotional, but like to be able to have a twin sister and like kind of feel for her in the way that you like never want to like overshadow, like shine, it was actually a really great race because all of our friends came and watched, like all of our best friends came and watched her run that race. And they didn't even see us finish. They were like, okay, Madison, we're not coming to watch. It was actually really great because I was like, someone needs to tell me. She's like, we're not coming to watch you. We're coming to watch Kenzie. And so they actually totally missed me finishing. And they were there on the line. I was right beside them when Kenzie was finishing. They were tracking them the whole time. And just to be able to, like, have these different – I don't even know where I'm going with what I'm saying, but – I think I've lost. It's the perfect example of just but supporting other women, exactly, right? And that's yeah. what we need. And like, look, when I was in school, like, I did not support other women. And yeah. when I got sober, I did not support other women. And I was not the woman that I wanted to be friends with. Mm-hmm. And so I would look at other women and think they're taking from me or they're not, yeah. they're competing with me or whatever it is. And like, maybe that's it. Surround yourself with women that lift you up. Yeah. You know, they say surround yourself with women that mention your name in a room of opportunities. Like right. those are your people. And they're always going to be the people that want to pull you back. But yeah. like you can, that's such a beautiful story yeah. of like your sister empowering you and you are empowering her. And yeah. like, and so that's weird, what we like, need. And I, we talk about this all the time. Like our growing up, like mm-hmm. our, like just our parents, like really cool like badass people like I hope like dad is actually writing a book right now but he which he's already announced so that I can say it I think <laughs> hopefully on here but um like just the stories that we have and the, the stories that we've gained not just through dad having a podcast and me having a podcast but through Mackenzie meeting people my mom meeting yes. people in her job so it's so weird like I just always think about like how life and like decisions and stories like me having you on this podcast and what yeah. all that opens up and like what I can you know, hopefully give you, you know, as a friend and then, you know. Well, it's community. Like I, and yeah. so when I, I was with our, I was with Charlie and yeah. like Nona recently, I don't, it's like a longevity and, a, and health. It's like Nona okay, Impact yeah. Forum. And so it's like Deepak Chopra and Mark Hyman, Dr. Mark Hyman were there. And so it's like these experts oh, yeah. in health and wellness, right? <laughs> yeah. Like really big names, more than one person on different panels at different times in different areas of health and wellness all said that what we need in life for longevity, health and wellness, like sure, we need sleep, we need good food, yeah. we need water. Yeah, of course we need all those things. But the most impactful and important thing that nobody is really like embracing that we need to is community, connection, and purpose. Those are the things that make us feel that that's the secret to longevity. Everybody wants a secret. There's your secret, you know? And so it's like your point, like connecting, right? Sharing stories and connecting with people is what is just (laughs) makes it a beautiful life. So we talk about Our mutual friends. Yeah, I love. To, I'm gonna call Charlie my friend because I think we are. But <laughs> Charlie doesn't know a stranger. Can you, can he is friends t- with I love everyone. Um, can you just talk about a little bit about your relationship? Tell you can tell the listeners a little bit about who yeah. Charlie Engel is because I don't think I've mentioned his name before. Okay, but and then just talk about your relationship with Charlie. Yeah, Charlie's 
special in like the kindest way. Um, so Charlie and I met at the Penguin last year. So I yeah. was doing PR for oh, the event. you just met last year? We just met last year. And he oh my is goodness. one of my <laughs> best friends yeah. in the world. Like, um, he, so we met at the Penguin last year. He was running it. I was doing PR. We were actually on a call. And he's like, I think I know a person. I think I know Michael's agent, Michael Phelps's agent. So we can call. And Tara, the, another girl on the call was like, you know Hillary is his sister, right? And Charlie's like, I had no idea. And I was like, who is this guy anyway? Like, I had yeah. never heard. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. I never heard of, like, I yeah. mean, I heard about running the Sahara, and like, right, but I yeah. didn't know his story. And so I met Charlie for the first time the day before the Penguin started. Um, we did the Penguin <laughs> together. I know. It's so funny. It's so funny. And now we're like traveling to like <laughs> Nona together. I talk to him every day. We're on a group chat with another friend. We're talking like planning these like weekends just like to check out with friends. Like, yeah. um, but Charlie's a really special person. I mean, he's probably one of the kindest people I know. He has so the biggest kind. heart. Yes. He would help anybody at any time with anything without asking questions. Yeah. He is just a really wonderful soul and a beautiful human. And he, um, you know, his story is coming up in 31 years mm -hmm. of continuous sobriety, which is what we're going to celebrate awesome. at Ashley yeah. and the Penguin. Um, but he moves for 31 hours continuously, which is wild to me. <laughs> it's like, it's so crazy. Um, it's so insane. I can't even, I'll I, cheer him on. I'll cheer him on. I know. I'll, like, I'll cheer him on. Um, but Charlie's story, you know, Charlie got sober coming up on 31 years. He was um, living in a, I mean, his story is is just so sensational. Yeah. He was smoking crack in hotel rooms and someone stole his car and there was a baby in the car. Like I was reading his book and I call, I'm like, dude, you stole a baby? And he's like, what are you talking about? Maybe. And I was like, in your book. And he goes, I gave the baby back. I gave the baby back. <laughs> I was like, Charlie, what in the world? I go, how are you alive right now? Yeah. And then I said, and thank you. God, we didn't know each yeah. other. We were drinking. Yeah, like, that we, was... <laughs> like, oh, he, we'd be dead now. Like, um, but he's just—he's wonderful. He's just—he's like one of those really special people and special yeah. humans that doesn't know a stranger, and everybody adores Charlie. It's so because I've only met him a couple of times, and I, like I said, I met him when I was younger for the first time. Yeah, and I was kind of like, he's just dad's friend, like blah, blah blah. And I wasn't really like my mind was still like. I'm still immature, but it was definitely, like, not the same as it is now. Like, to be able to have a conversation, like, a serious conversation. <laughs> and so, but when we went to the Penguin Run, that was the second time I've seen him, see him, like, seen him my entire life. So I've, like, texted him, Instagram, we've connected, but I haven't, like, seen him. And I remember he was, like, on the ground getting, like, massaged by somebody because, obviously, he was running 30 hours. 30 hours straight. He needed a break. And... Oh, was it the foot treatment? Oh, maybe it was. That was me. Oh. <laughs> it probably was. I was doing reflexology yes, on his feet. it was. Because he was like, I can't. And I was like, okay, I'll give you a treat. So that yeah, was another yeah. modality of studying. So I was like doing reflexology <laughs> on his so feet. so funny. Yeah. And first I was probably like, I don't know who's who would do that. I probably We're thought about that. I was thing. like... They must be really good friends. Yeah. <laughs> and... But then he got up and started to run with us like a little bit after. Yeah. And it, I still get like nervous around him because it's like... Charlie Engel, like Mackenzie and I love his story. Like, mm -hmm. and he's like, it's just weird because he's like, he knows us, he knows dad. Mm -hmm. But just how open and like relaxed you can feel around him, like in the same way that I was like, okay, I kind of feel nervous, like, because he's like, you know, this big person, like, has accomplished all these amazing things. But when he starts to talk to you, it's like you can connect and like immediately feel like, okay, I can share like the world with mm -hmm. him. And so that's really special and I really love. It's that like his, about him. His superpower. He yeah. makes you feel like you're the only person in the room. Right? Like right. He like listens yeah. to you yeah. and he can connect with you differently. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, so tell us about the Penguin Run this year. Just tell 
them all. The penguin. <laughs> I can't wait. It's on July 22nd and 23rd yeah. at Ashley Addiction Treatment and Habit of Grace. We're doing it a little bit differently this year than we did last year. Um, we I'm are going to have the 5K on Saturday. We're going to make it like a carnival style. We're going to yeah. have food trucks and gift, um, gifts, games for kids, yeah. like a water slide, things like that. So it's really fun. Um, fun. It's a fundraiser to provide scholarships uh-huh. um, to people who you know may not be able to afford right. Um, treatment and so it's literally saving lives and we're having the 5k and then there is the ultra <laughs> option uh, the for insane those option. the insane <laughs> option for those of um those folks who <laughs> want to who move are. for 31 hours yeah. but i will say you can also camp like some people camp yeah or, like, some people slept in their car for, for hours. Yeah. yes and you can do that in the grounds at ashley yeah. like when you register so you do not have to move the entire 31 hours, yeah. but it is a really powerful experience. It is that great sense of community yeah, and awesome. you get to, t- so last year when we did it, there was a group of probably 20, maybe 25. And we afterwards were like, and this was like when gas was like $85 a gallon, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like really, nobody talked about gas. Nobody talked about politics. Yeah. No, we left the night. We were like, wait a second. We talked about real Things. things like yeah. nobody was complaining about how hot it was it was like right. 110 degrees nobody was doing <laughs> I it probably remember that but i mean it was like humid but like at that point that everybody like smelled bad big. everybody <laughs> i definitely right? was i was like charlie and then that yeah, photo like, i was like oh my goodness oh you look gorgeous <laughs> oh, it's so funny we're, but, right? we're so hard on yeah, ourselves like um and so we're gonna do that and there is the option 31 hours it's really powerful we're talking about doing a vip silent disco yeah, saturday night <laughs> which so is fun. so fun you know like the earphones and yeah. you just like jam out and it's dancing under the stars at ashley <laughs> because it's you know to see dad do that That's oh awesome. my gosh yes dad you have to come. <laughs> <laughs> chad would love it he would you're there i'm right putting there. you both on the list um, mackenzie too but oh yeah Kenzie and your mom would definitely Mom, <laughs> mom would be laughing at all of us sitting down. Um, but so Penguin Run last year, um, I'll say my favorite memory from it. I yeah. think it was immediately when we were walking up, I was like, okay, these people might hate us because, you know, if they've been running for like 30 hours and here I am, I'm like, I'm going to do three miles with you. I got you. And then I'm going to leave. <laughs> you come in like, looking good, smelling yeah. fresh. Yeah. And here these people are like, <laughs> Brendan, when we saw one of our closest friends, one of my closest friends, um, Brendan Ring, mm. he was like really not in it. Like he just wasn't, like he couldn't talk. Like he was so like in, like in yeah, pain. I remember that. And I, I was like, I don't know. Do I just stop running? Like I was like, do I stop talking? Like I don't know. He needed us there, and I think in that one moment he needed his people just to like mm-hmm. be with him, so he wasn't alone. But it was also amazing because, like what I was gonna say, is we walked up and in three seconds, three men wa- ran over and we just started running together. And I remember like just immediately they shared their stories. They shared who yes. they were, and like I said, Zach Clark and all of them, the people that like I couldn't even, I didn't even know. Like I was just so focused in on like their stories, some of their stories with addiction and some of their stories with like what they're doing now and their foundations. And so that's what I'm probably more excited about this year. Dad just said, oh guys, we have to go to the Penguin. I was like, oh dad, I already knew. Like we were already planning on going to this and he was so great. And so we're going to come again this year, but Connection, community, and just, purpose, right? Yeah. Just jumping right in. They share their story. They share their purpose, like the that's foundation. Amazing. Yeah. The Release Recovery Foundation. I mean, it's such a powerful a day. Yeah. It's such a powerful experience. I loved it. I mean, we talked everybody talked like for weeks after we still keep in touch with everybody that was there I think I follow like a bunch of the people that I met and I was literally just there for like two hours three hours um but so my last two questions I ask all my guests uh the first one do you read and if so what's your favorite book 
hands down favorite book, um, Change Your Paradigm, Change Your Life by Bob Proctor. Mm-hmm. Hands down, read it 10 times. Well, I audio booked <laughs> it 10 times. <laughs> same, um, same, same, same. So, it, and it's because it is every time I listen to it, I'm in a different space and I pick up something different. And it talks about changing the paradigm of the ways that we think. So, it's subconscious oh, changing. It's, yeah. it's, it is, I, I give it out to people. It yeah. is the best book. Um, I'm also reading, and I read again, The Four Agreements. I think it's oh, so yes. important. Dad it, loves it, The Four Agreements. Over and over and over. It yeah. is so important because it's like one of the best lines. It's like um, all wars start because we take things personally. We make assumptions. Yeah. And I think back to every fight or argument. I'm like, well, that person thinks this, and so therefore yeah. I – and I jump to conclusions. So trying to like – incorporate some of those into my life has made yeah. a huge change in my emotional well-being. Right. I which, love it. Those yeah. are great options. My goodness, dad would be like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> approve. Um, and then I kind of asked you this once before, but if you could tell the one girl or to the girls that are struggling to find their self-worth, what one thing, if you had to pick one, obviously there are many, but one thing would you tell the girl struggling to you know, know her self-worth and self-confidence? Like you're worth it and keep going. Yeah. Don't, don't quit. Ask yeah. for help. Like, um, it's hard to struggle in silence and it's mm-hmm. hard to feel alone. And so if you can find people, just one person, a best friend, a family member, a therapist, yeah. like somebody, just find someone and don't give up until you find that person. Yeah. That's super powerful. Well, we'll end it on that note, but thank you so much for coming. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for having this me. So amazing. This was, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> okay. Thank you everyone for listening and I'm so glad. Have, have the best day ever. Bye.